that was the strangest start to a show I think I've ever heard in my life. I, I, that was very odd, but uh, we're here. Uh, I am on location uh, in Phoenix. Uh, we're live from my hotel room uh, for the second time in the last week. I'm here for America Fest. I'll be uh, speaking today at three o'clock this afternoon about COVID fascism. Looking forward to that. And this has been a fascinating experience this week. Uh, or this weekend being here. Uh, it's kind of been refreshing. I'm going to go a little bit more into it in the overtime later today for Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. But before then, regular programming resumes. You already heard Aaron McIntyre's voice, our producer. Todd Erzin is here with us as well. You guys are back there in Iowa. What's the weather back there right now, guys? Just normal Iowa winter. It's uh, a little chilly. So but Nothing we can't handle, just winter. I went for a 10-mile walk yesterday. You outside. Could, you could walk 10 miles outside in this weather here, no problem. <laughs> Get out. Come on, man. It's freaking brutal back there. Brutal. Well, it's like in the 20s. Now, it's really not that bad. Friday, me. it's going to be like below zero, I think. Today's just a, a normal winter day. 10 miles, piece of cake. As a matter of fact, I might have to... Steve Day's challenge. I may have to get on that. Well, no. Got too much end of this show duties. But this week, maybe, 10 miles outside, piece of cake. All right. Challenge is accepted. You're out there later this week. 10-mile walk. All right. Let's see it. Jog. Run. You'll be jogging out there in minus 10. Sure. Exactly. All right. All right. Uh, with uh, with nothing to satiate you, but of course vinegar, right? Exactly, vinegar exactly. stops along the way. <laughs> All right, so we have three shows left this year. Uh, today is our final regular program. So Bob Vanderplas will join us at the bottom of this hour. It'll be your turn to ask me anything next hour here on the show, and then the next two days will be our annual and special year in review programs. Tomorrow will be a, our two-hour year-end dace group, which we look forward to every year. Our guest contributors this year are Paul Alexander. He's back uh, after uh, infuriating half of you and uh, endearing himself to the other half. He will be here again tomorrow. And we'll be joined for the first time by our colleague Sarah Gonzalez here at Blaze TV. So uh, that'll be a jam-packed program for you tomorrow. And then Wednesday, our final show of the year, it will be our top 10 stories of the year as selected by Todd and Aaron. We'll look back on my 10 predictions uh, at the start of the year and see exactly that like none of them probably ended up coming true. Uh, and we'll have what we also will consider to be the clip of the year. And uh, all that and more coming your way tomorrow. And then it is, we bid adieu. We uh, say peace out, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And then you won't see us again until Monday, January the 9th. So gentlemen, we have a lot to get to. Let us now get to it with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the abomination of desolation lives in Vermont. More on that later, but first, the FDA has for the first time admitted that blood clotting is a risk factor of the Pfizer COVID jabs. Researchers at the administration poured over data from over 17 million elderly Americans who received over 34 million doses of the Pfizer jab between December of 2020 and January of 2022. The researchers found that a pulmonary embolism clotting in the lungs met the initial threshold for a statistical signal and continued meeting that criteria after a more in-depth evaluation. The FDA said it's not taking 
taking any action on the results of the study, saying the findings are still under investigation and require a more robust study. Dr. Jha at the White House, your thoughts? We know we can prevent nearly every death from COVID if people get their updated vaccines and people get treated. So um, we continue to, to press that message. Anyway, here's Dr. Peter McCullough from the Truth for Health Foundation on myocarditis. In a paper by uh, Arolia and colleagues from Finland, published in one of the best cardiology journals before COVID established a rate, it's very important. Uh, they studied everybody in the entire country and they had very solid case identification. Four cases per million is the background rate of myocarditis before COVID. And the numbers, the very first number the CDC came out with, and the CDC was uh, dividing uh, safety events by the total number of people who took the vaccine, assuming other people didn't get it. That is a flawed statistical approach. But even doing that, the first CDC estimate was 62 cases per million. And then it rapidly escalated. Tracy Hogue at UC Davis, different data analysis, 250 cases per million. Sharf at Kaiser Permanente found 527 cases per million. And now the two prospective cohort studies Masugian and colleagues, and Lepesic and colleagues, two separate papers, when they finally do all the measurements before and then after vaccination, uh, Masugian was on the second shot of uh, Pfizer in children aged 13 to 18. Lepesic was in healthcare workers on the third shot of messenger RNA vaccines. They find together, that point estimate now, 25,000 cases per million. Gene Simmons, your thoughts? Well, get over yourself. We're not concerned if you agree with it or not. We're concerned about you making us sick. So no. get your COVID shot it's a good point. and prevent and other people from getting your stuff. Well, you're taking away my rights and the government's telling me what to do. That's right. The government is telling you what to do. Shut up. Be respectful of other people and get a vaccine. The latest batch of the Twitter files shows regular communication and pressure from the FBI and other affiliated non-governmental organizations to curb information they deemed inconvenient. Moving on, a court in Arizona has granted Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake the ability to inspect 50 randomly selected election day cast ballots from six separate Maricopa County voting centers and 50 randomly selected early cast ballots. The court rejected Lake's bid to have 50 early votes envelopes inspected curiously. The purpose of the inspection is to, among other things, verify the signatures on the ballots match. Speaking of Lake, she was in Mar-a-Lago recently speaking glowingly about the gays. This is no secret. 80, 90, 100% of the men in media are gay. Okay? And so all of my friends, when I worked in media for 30 years, were the most amazing, fun, smart, savvy people in the world, gay men. And I was, the one thing I really was going to miss when I walked away from the media was my gay friends. Turns out I get into politics and I had no idea conservative politics was full of gay men as well. At that same event, Donald Trump, according to numerous sources, received a standing ovation after he gave a deep-throated affirmation of so-called gay rights. Here's Democrat Congresswoman Katie Porter. You know, this allegation of groomer and pedophile, it is alleging that a person is criminal somehow and engaged in criminal acts merely because of, of their identity. What you're about to see is somebody named Marty G. Cummings, a guest of Joe Biden's at the recent signing ceremony for the Disrespect for Marriage Act, who also performs for kids at Drag Queen Storytime Hour. I like big I want a thick Give me your unpack. 
Again, that was a guest of Joe Biden's at the signing ceremony for the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Also somebody who performs for children at Drag Queen Story Hour. The Florida state government has issued subpoenas to some 20 organizations who have historically defended child mutilation in the name of transgenderism. The move stems from a lawsuit involving the state's Medicaid ban on so-called sex change treatments. And finally, the abomination of desolation lives in Vermont. What you're about to see, many of you will find highly disturbing. For the sake of their innocence, all children, small pets and appliances should be out of the room. What you're about to see is a video produced by the Vermont State Police. Again, what you're about to see, highly, highly disturbing. Grab a vomit bag. On the 12 days of Christmas, highway safety means to me... 12 drivers who aren't speeding. 11 cars not closely following. 10 Nine sober drivers. Eight trucks moved over. Seven safety checkpoints. Six cars that don't crowd me. Please buckle up. Four snow tires installed. Three checks ignored. Two wipers working. That's what happened while we were away. The guy in the auto shops wearing a mask. We lost auto shop worker guy. There's no one left. Literally. Auto shop worker guy, probably putting down what would you guess? Pack, pack and a half, maybe two of uh, cancer sticks a day. Perhaps he's wearing a mask. That was not the most offensive thing about that video either. No, no, it, it wasn't. I got to admit, though, I was already on tilt getting through that montage. And then auto shop worker guy wearing a mask just kind of put me over the edge. In these unprecedented times. Ding. Indeed, indeed. Um, make sure uh, you take advantage of our friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com before you yourself get involved in the real estate market, especially given all of the uncertainty out there. Here's how it works. Uh, just to go to realestateagentsitrust.com, enter in some inf general information so that we know how to contact you and a little bit about what you're looking for. And then we will connect you with one of our recommended agents. How do they get recommended? Well, we vet their track record of success. They earn our trust before we entrust them to you. So, uh, and a lot of times these agents will come from right here in this audience. So, you know, they share your value system as well. And that's one of the reasons why we have a waiting list pretty long of agents waiting to get listed in our database because we don't just take anybody, we inspect them first. So again, head over to the website now, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's get to what is in Aaron's montage today. Um, let, let's, let's go from the top, actually. Let, let's start at the top. I shouldn't be surprised. I, I, and I'm not. I'm not surprised, okay? I'm not shocked. 
but to use an analogy we have used a few times over the last few years. You're not shocked when your loved one in hospice passes away. You understand once they go into hospice care, that's the Hotel California. You check in anytime you like, but you don't ever leave. All right, everybody knows that's a one-way ticket. You know that, okay? But it doesn't mean you're still not impacted to devastated when the, when the call comes in that your loved one has passed on. And I have called for trials. I've called for executions publicly. I have publicly fantasized, if not fetishized, about being the executioner in some of these cases. I have been very open over the last few years about my struggle with the level of anger, the level of bile I have attempted to contain um, because letting it out, well, I'm already on every domestic terror watch list. Every and Letting it out, they just go ahead and pick me up. All that being said, as we sit here in on the eve of our penultimate show of the year, and everything that we have been a part of on this program since March 16th of 2020, everything we've either been on the cutting edge of ourselves or in supporting those who were on the cutting edge in their cases. Despite all of that, Todd and Aaron, I am sitting here guffawed to see the FDA say, y'all are right and we're not going to do anything about it. I mean, as I, as I go, as I, <laughs> what, what do you do with that? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And, and this is probably the ninth or 10th instance that I have said this in just the last couple of years on a, a myriad of issues, not just COVID. But 56 men signed a secession pact from the British Crown, understanding that they were really issuing a declaration of war for far less than this. I mean, far less than this. Now, for the times in which they lived, taxation without representation, quartering of foreign soldiers, conscription of your children and your lands. For the times in which they lived, those were very draconian Byzantine actions of government, particularly because they still viewed themselves, even though they lived in these American colonies, they still viewed themselves as Englishmen with rights going back to the Magna Carta, enshrined by law. This is holocaustic. This is dark ages. This is druidic. And I gotta tell you, I have, I have, 
I have no idea how you keep a society together like this. Followed by the White House coronavirus advisor, who, by the way, first was getting media exposure via Newsmax, by the way. That's where I first saw that clown, was on Newsmax. They were having him on. Because the owner of Newsmax, Chris Ruddy, pimped this poison to his audience and forced it on his employees, from what I understand. And none of that's true. Like, like none of it is. Nothing he said is true. But we're not, we're not talking about whether a president and a couple of ham and eggers engaged in some clumsy attempt at political industrial espionage at a hotel and lied about it. We're not talking about whether a president was, was dishonest and lied about the fact that he was funneling arms to Central American freedom fighters fighting communists. Or whether a president ejaculated his DNA in the Oval Office on the blue dress of an intern and lied about it. We can all agree, disagree, and have at various times how each of those actions may or may not have impacted the presidency of the United States and the integrity of the office. They are advocating the poisoning of our citizens, Soylent Green level poisoning. What else would you call what Peter McCullough lays out in that clip that Aaron just shared? Peter McCullough is arguably the most decorated cardiologist in the history of this republic, which apparently is history based on what I just watched and have watched most days, frankly, the last few years. They're advocating openly the poisoning of their citizens. And on top of that, it's not gonna be us and most of you that are watching or listening right now that are going to follow those orders. They're gonna drink the Kool-Aid there from that Jim Jones wannabe with an Ivy League PhD. It's gonna be their own people. You know, just like their remedies to eliminate racism made generations of dysfunction in the black community even worse. The welfare state made poverty, illegitimacy, out of wedlock birth even worse. Their education policies made everybody dumber, made education even worse. Now their public health policies are gonna just poison even more people, their own. And then you have Dr. <laughs> Dr. Love, Gene Simmons, the next in a long line of allegedly badass iconoclastic boomer era rockers like Neil Young and pretty much all of them other than Eric Clapton at this point. Just sounding like another establishment simp. Sounding exactly like what he claimed he was rebelling against. 
At this point, he might as well go ahead and, and trademark gene juice. It's got multiple meanings in his case. I, I don't know, as we come to the end of this year, I, I don't know how to sustain a society on anything I just discussed. And, and therefore, I, I don't believe that this is a sustainable society. Gentlemen, your thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking about that um, quite a bit, driving back and forth uh, to Arkansas this weekend. And I hadn't even seen this yet, but let's face it, we've seen a version of this on Aaron's montage for how long now? I said just a couple Fridays ago that, you know, the worst of the week are the normies that allow for this. Those normies are in that Vermont video at the end of Aaron's montage. The things we just will give our energy to these days while as you just laid out steve you know every listen not very long ago everybody was gene simmons except for uh the motley crew in this room and some other uh noble warriors all of whom we've tried to have on this show but listen at, at best most people are just like tapping out on taking uh the vaccines themselves but that that you know they've created their own uh private idaho they're kind of going their own way but as soon as the zeitgeist demands something that, that that's the the problem we don't have citizens anymore we don't have independent minded people who have a closed hand set of beliefs and steve you've spent you know, well over a decade before we ever heard of a COVID or a, a, a groomer, uh, what that meant. And these were, uh, at the founding of this country, largely uneducated people. But they knew what they held in their closed hand. And they'd gladly close that hand tighter to make it into a fist to fight you for it. We just don't have those people anymore. I, we're, 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 we, we are anesthetized. We are cipher in the matrix that we just want in. We just want to be comfortable. Mm. Ignorance is bliss. I don't care how many of you get mad at me for it anymore. I promise you. And everybody who's ever argued about this with me in my whole life has ended up on the wrong end of it. I'm going to make you angrier in the next year. I don't, what else to say? You don't want to do what must be done. The government is telling you now, as you said, you were poisoned and they, uh, there's, Steve wrote his book about this. Little did he know. And now the movie's being made. You are exactly what he's talking about. The truth is out there and you just don't care. This is, we joked about that. Steve joked about this with aliens. Like aliens are actually here, but we, yeah, we got other stuff to do now. It's actually, this. these are the aliens. These are the real aliens. The, the the ones that are working in your government, the ones that have uh, that have deep deep stated everything, the ones that are stealing elections, the ones that are grooming your kids, and you can't be bothered. All those all those movies, Sons of Scotland, or the great speech uh, in uh, Independence Day, uh, but 
honestly, you you got more important things to do, like, you know, the lint in your navel. We aren't a civilization anymore. We aren't a society. We aren't America. It's just true. No, it's not sustainable, and that's the point. That's the entire deconstruction, depopulation point of of um, of the long march through the institutions that the demonically infested spirit of the age has accomplished. That's that's always that's always been the point. It hit home in a just a strange way. I sent you guys this article this weekend. It hit home in a strange way. Just every at every turn, whether it's because of uh, the book we've been studying or just wrapped up studying. Uh, thank God for Bitcoin and a a truly um, truly quick but thorough march through uh, how morality and our economy and, and monetary system are intrinsically and irrevocably intertwined. Um, it, it hit home in a, a weird way, whether it's because of that and people are just cutting corners or whether it's because of something nefarious and intentional. But everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, if you really just kind of look beneath the veil, it's... Man alive, this is a dark thought. It's a dark thought for Christmas. I know everybody's ready to get off for the week, but it truly is um, death or at least deconstruction. Everywhere you look. Now, whether that's in the um, you know in the in the realm of jabs, you know, obviously, yeah, that's kind of been asked and answered. But even in the products that we buy, just living life day to day, and yeah. This has been true for a long time. Everything kills you. Okay, east of Eden, we have we have these uh, these these shells that just don't last for very long. But I saw this story this week about how dark dark chocolate. You got you guys saw this story. Dark chocolate yeah, yeah. has yeah. like hundreds of percentage oh, points uh, more lead and heavy metals in it than like California standards. And yeah, California is a hippy dippy, but still, you can't even eat dark chocolate. What is the benign, innocent explanation for there being lead in your damn dark chocolate from Trader Joe's? It's stuff like that. We're at every level, even in just that example, which is at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's just kind of anecdotal. It's kind of it's kind of out there. Everywhere you go, it seems like you're confronted with this. Now, whether it's because the makers of the dark chocolate are because, trying to cut corners or make a buck, or whether they're trying to kill you, that's not a very good explanation. And it really hit home this weekend when I saw that, and Bella told me about that story in a very strange way, that whatever we have going here is not sustainable, like on any level. And that is absolutely, absolutely the point. Merry Christmas. God bless everyone. You know, though, that's actually a great segue to what's going on right now. I mean, what we're going to commemorate later this week, God had been silent for over 400 years. And one night in a barn, literally, the, a baby's cry breaks that silence. And God enters into the darkness, both literally 
in the dead of night and literally into this fallen world. And I would hope everything that we just talked about and have talked about over the course of this year actually inspires you to celebrate Christmas even harder this year, to play your Christmas music even more obnoxiously this year, to give to others even more this year, to donate to causes even more this year, because that's about the most subversive thing that you could do right now, is to, is to, is to become ungovernable by the spirit of the age and instead become more out in the open, more bold, more flamboyant about the hope that you have that is not of this world. I saw a quote from the great Charles Spurgeon this morning from uh, Aaron, the young lady that used to occupy your seat, and I retweeted it. When you make room in your heart for Christ, this world has no more room for you. And that's kind of what it feels like right now. So I don't think the answer is to lament that there's no more room at the end. I think the answer is to celebrate Christmas and what it truly means in light of everything. Come back with Bob Vanderpots in a moment. The Steve Day Show. show here it is our final week it's only a half a week we're going to have a regular show today and our two special uh, two-hour year in review programs take place tomorrow and wednesday i am inside my hotel room here uh, in downtown phoenix where i'll be speaking at america fest later today everybody else is back there in des moines where i will see them tomorrow including our guest here as he typically is on a monday bob vanderplatz from the family leader and i don't have you know, we're down to the end of the year now, so we've cleaned out a lot of our ad inventory. I don't have a live read for your segment, Bob, so I'm just going to hand it over to you. This segment is brought to you by the family leader, Bob. Go ahead. <laughs> I always wanted to be sponsored. That's why I said, let's put a sponsorship in there. Uh, and Steve, I'm glad you noted that I am not in your hotel room with you either, that I'm here in the studio in Des Moines. That's happened enough times already. Yeah. Now, you, now you only get phone calls from Lindsey Graham, so <laughs> Uh, so anyhow, uh, Steve, I was looking at the end of the year and I was thinking, gosh, I looked, I looked, I looked towards next year, 2023, and you and I have got a lot going on. Uh, one is you've got your big movie that will be released. We don't know when yet, but it will be released. And I can't wait for Nefarious to make the splash. Uh, I've sat in on now a few screenings with you and to see the reaction by those who watch it. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe it's anointed for such a time as this. So, um, so Steve, let me ask you first, uh, how, how do you control your anticipation and your excitement when you know you've got that kind of a movie coming out next year? One thing that helps is working a, a, a group, a, you know, a bunch of uh, consecutive 12 to 14 hour days uh, between this gig, other things, and being a husband and a father that I don't have as much time to just completely, you know, freak out or geek out about it. But there's there's at least a few minutes uh, every day where I'm just like, you know, I cannot believe this is finally happening. It seems like 
you know, we just signed that movie deal six years ago this month, yesterday. And yeah, it's been a six year wait to get to this point. Um, and I, I, we were we were planning on doing a screening here at America Fest yesterday. We just logistically in the last minute could not work it out and had to had to cancel it for technical reasons. And I mean, I was stunned at the amount of people that stopped me uh, yesterday morning. They were on their way over to watch the screening uh, or stopped me yesterday afternoon. I did a, a block of interviews uh, on Media Row for different outlets yesterday. And the amount of uh, and this is a this is a large event, way larger than what CPAC is now. So, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, and our movie is a needle in a haystack. We're not doing anything other than just what we've discussed on my own show to promote it uh, and to show it to a few people strategically. So I, I just, you know, I can't wait to get more and more people's reaction uh, because when, when someone who is one of the most connected people in the motion picture industry told me last week, quote, I've never seen a movie like this. I don't, I mean, he's seen a few, all right? He's distributed <laughs> a few, he's responsible for a few. So to hear that from someone like him, you know, when you're screening it internally, you know, notice how we did it. We, 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 worked, we screened it amongst ourselves first, and then we brought in our investor group. Uh, and then we brought in, you know, uh, you know family and friends. And so, you, it, you know, it's like starting a sales network. You start with people that are closest to you and branch out. And when you kept hearing the same things more and more, you're like, okay, you start getting excited, but then you realize, you know, everybody kind of likes the smell of their own farts, right? <laughs> uh, and how how honest are friends and family going to really be, you know? And, um, you know, that's why the, of all the opinions I had heard until this past week, the opinion I took the most credibility from was the banker that helped us finance the rest of the, uh, the cost of the film we went into overages because... He is, dude. He's just—he's like the, you know, the landlord in Spider-Man, right? right? I just want to get paid back. Exactly. That's all he cares about. So he comes to the screenings like, I just need to know if my bank made a good investment or not. So when he's the one who's like, wow. I mean, I—I I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. You know, I'm a CrossFitter guy, and my setting heart rate was 100 going through watching this movie. Uh, until this week, when we got outside of our ecosystem and started showing it now to a broader group of people that don't necessarily have to be nice to us, um, his was probably the feedback that I valued the most. Well, that's why I'm so excited about it, because obviously there's going to be a clash between good and evil, but I think it also gives hope. And I travel a lot, just like you do. You're in Phoenix. I'm, as soon as this interview's over, I'm heading off to the airport to go to Dallas again. And so I'll be gone for the next couple of days, but I can't tell you how many people stop me in the airport or when they see me and go, I can't wait to see that movie of Steve Dace's. And so it's building up to this crescendo. I think it's going to be a big year for you. And so I'm excited about that. But the other thing I was looking at, Steve, is that, um, you know, the Democrats are moving the Iowa caucuses and they're going to South Carolina and the other early states. Uh, but the Republicans are still going to be here. Uh, and they're already crisscrossing our state. And you and I have seen way too often people place their hope into the next best thing, the next best person. The new hotness. Yeah. yeah. And how many times we've been let down by, I put my faith, I put my hope into that person. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to get a front row seat. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a blessed year. I believe that, but it's going to be a busy year. But I think it's also going to be a year where at least we at The Family Leader, and I think uh, you guys at The Blaze TV as well, especially with The Steve Day Show, to remind people where does our hope 
come from. You know, when David was there in the city gates of Jerusalem and he looked around, he saw the hills. He said, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And too often we think it's going to be in this politician or in this party, or if we capture this office or if we capture this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think your movie Nefarious brings that home a lot in regards to where does our hope really come from? What do you really need to struggle with? What do you, where is your ultimate hope? But for us at The Family Leader, that's why we're so engaged with the Bride of Christ, the church, the remnant of the Bride of Christ, the ones that still believe in the Word of God to be true, and that Jesus is the way, not a way. And when you limit it to those two factors, you start losing a lot of churches with a cross uh, because they become social clubs with a cross. But when we can mobilize that remnant and we keep the main thing, the main thing, that it's, it's the gospel, it's anchored in prayer. It's the shepherds of God's church engaging with the shepherds of God's government. Why? To elect ministers of God, to advance righteous policy, and then to see a biblical partnership between church and government that breaks bondage, sets the captive free. That's where the hope is. And so all these others that we're playing with, those are just vessels to help advance that hope. And so that's what we're trying to do. So we're looking forward to next year of 2023 being an exciting year. Uh, we, our model is now launched in 15 states, and we're excited to see where God opens up that door next. That's extremely well said. It's really a, 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 it was an excellent segue from what we just closed the last segment with. But since you opened that door, man, I had completely forgotten we were going, going to have the Iowa caucuses next year. I mean, I just <laughs> completely had forgotten about it. All right. And... And as you look at how, well, let me start with this. How engaged right now do you view our people in that process? Or are they also like, oh, yeah, that's going on next year? I think there's a little bit of, oh, yeah, that's going on next year. I think that's why Trump's announcement was met with a thud. I've been very open about that. and No one's talking about it. But part of that's a healthy thing as well. We just got done with the midterm election. Uh, and everybody's focuses on the midterms, who's going to win the U.S. House, who's going to win the U.S. Senate, what happens in Pennsylvania, what happens in Georgia. Now people are looking at Christmas. Uh, and this is our ultimate hope right here is where God's gift of a son is where heaven meets, meets earth and where we, we celebrate the gift of a Savior, which we all need and definitely our culture needs today. So I think it's a healthy thing, too, that we're, you're seeing a Lamaze breath. And people going, you know what, I'm not worried about that right now. But you turn the page after after January 1, you start getting into the middle of January, early February, people are going to start paying very, very close attention about what's happening in Iowa and who's crisscrossing the frozen tundra. All right, let's put you on the record. Six months from now, so we'll say June 1, who has declared an intention to run for the GOP presidential nomination and is actively travailing Iowa by June 1 of next year? It's a great question. Obviously, you Other know, than Donald Trump, yeah, obviously. Well, that was going to be the easy one. Trump already has, so therefore we know, <laughs> we know Trump is. But I think you're going to see Pence making his announcement clear. I think you're going to see Pompeo making his announcement clear. I think you're going to get guys like Asa Hutchison saying he's running as well. You might even have a Tim Scott entering the fray that early, maybe a Nikki Haley as well. I believe Ron DeSantis, though, 
uh, may just be holding his cards, holding his cards, holding his cards till post June 1. And I would say maybe it's middle of July, maybe it gets around Labor Day where Ron DeSantis says I'm coming in as well. But I think it's going to be a, a heavy field. I think it's going to be uh, in numbers, that is. And I think it's going to be a vibrant field. And we'll have to see who is the one that says you need to coalesce around me to take on the former president. Because if there's not a coalescing, uh, President Trump will be the Republican nominee. I really believe that only two people currently alive have any chance of being the Republican nominee. Uh, and it's Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. You agree or disagree with that? You know, I've been around this too much, so I disagree with it. I, I, I mean, I can see why you would come to that conclusion. The reason I disagree with it is uh, there's a guy by the name of Barack Obama who people thought had no shot. It was going to be Hillary Clinton. And Obama ends up being the nominee, ends up being president. Uh, the same way with Scott Walker, Giuliani, others, Rick Perry. Uh, so I do think you know, there, there's an opportunity that a Pompeo could catch steam. Somebody else could catch steam. The big deal is who can, who basically can cast the vision, you need to coalesce around me, that I have the best shot of winning and to beat Trump. Now, right now, I think a lot of people like you, Steve, would agree that that's Ron DeSantis. Uh, but there's a lot of game left to be played. Ask the Minnesota Vikings. Do you think... I agree with you that I think it is possible Ron DeSantis may hold out for as long as he can because he because ha- he can. He's got when you're governor of Florida, you have a great platform. He's got, the, he's got an even bigger platform than Donald Trump does right now. You mentioned it as governor of Florida, right? And and you know if there was any if there was any talk at all that he was maybe going to coast and start getting you know more broad themes for a presidential election. Well, in the last in the first month since since he won his Reagan '84. He's declared war on the sacred cow jab. He has subpoenaed over 20 medical outlets that are performing meatball surgery on kids. No, they're not. <laughs> they're, not. <laughs> they're not. They're not. They're not going into second term cruise control down there at all. And, and all these are things, though, that are going to give him a tremendous platform with our base that that he's essentially King Kong on the outside, casting a shadow, a pall over this process. And, and I can see where his strategy, Bob, might be. Let Trump diminish himself by debating these, quote unquote, five or six dwarfs that you just mentioned. Put it, Trump on a stage where they're nipping at his heels. And, and, and DeSantis is there is just not there for the first couple of debates. But a shadow hovers over the entire thing. And essentially, he overshadows it to some extent. I could see that yeah, being the strategy. Yeah. You know, when I when I watched DeSantis right away and he took on this, uh, the vaccinations, he's taken on Fauci, he's taken on all of those. I thought of two things. One is, don't forget who brought you to the dance. And so therefore, don't forget why you won re-election big. Don't forget why you won Miami-Dade County. Don't forget why there's all this buzz about you being president because you were a bold and courageous leader. That's one. However, two is, remember, the former president, Donald Trump, he is owning this vaccination. This is his vaccination. And he's around. He tells people that all the time. That is mine. And so I think he's also setting a very clear dividing line between him and the former president if he happens to get into the presidential race. I mean, if you look at, you know, I've been tweeting these numbers out, look at our own state. We have total excess deaths through October in our state are on track to be higher than what they were in our state in the in on average in the pre-COVID years. And you can't use now the the apologists want to say it's long COVID. The problem is from October 31st 
Um, and we, the previous 280 days, only one of those days, Bob, did we have double-digit COVID deaths in this state. That was July 10th yeah. for 280 days. So that had nothing to do, long COVID had nothing to do with those numbers. We have to come up with another reason to explain them. But I promise you those numbers exist almost everywhere in the country. And so, right. so the thing about DeSantis, though, is that he's been ahead, ahead of the curve on about everything. And he was ahead of the curve on this one as well. But he's also drawing a defining line between him and the former president. That's why it's going to be interesting. Where does this race go and who rallies to, to whom to say, is it Trump? Is it DeSantis? Or does somebody catch their lightning in a bottle and have a shot? Todd and Aaron, you guys have a quick thought on what uh, Bob and I were just discussing? Well, I uh, as it's not a surprise. I'm closer to Bob about the uh, possibility of it being somebody other than uh, Trump or DeSantis. I just because I believe uh, the the Gen Pop, based on everything we talked about before, we we're a bunch of ciphers. We want to above all, we want comfort, and that applies to many people who tend to vote right as well. And listen, DeSantis. Uh, I, the, the trick of bottling whatever has happened in Florida and making it happen everywhere else, we just learned how hard that is in this midterm. And I don't believe he's a fait accompli. I certainly don't believe Trump's a fait accompli. It doesn't mean that I have to know who it's going to be about because everybody you rattled off there makes me um, laugh or cry. It doesn't really inspire <laughs> Bob, quite frankly. Uh, and half of those people you listed, I want to know when they come in the, under this roof because I don't want to be here because I, I don't know what I might say to him, quite frankly. I just, But I don't see a guarantee. I don't think DeSantis, I, I think he's waiting because he doesn't know. Not strategically. I think he might just stay back at Florida. If he sees a bunch of legislatures not go all in on school choice and lose their, he's sitting there saying, why am I going to go leave this country if you can't even do that? So he may be, he may be just sitting there in Florida. See, I, I think... I do believe it's strategic. I believe he knows he's got a, a large platform. And if he sees things like that on school choice or on other issues, he would understand the country needs a leadership. And they're seeing it in Florida. I can apply it to the country. I think that's where he would want to be. Got about a minute, Aaron. You want to add to this? Yeah, I'm just intrigued with the, uh, the, the notion of sitting out even past the debates. Uh, last cycle, 2016, how many did we have? We had multiple debates just to get the entire, the entire team on the, uh, you know, on, on the debate stage one night and then the, the next. And so I think we're going to not have that big of a field. But uh, if Donald tr- – I, I actually tend to think it probably is a little bit more strategic – even though I'm open to the possibility that, uh, as Todd was alluding to, we're just so far gone. But uh, um, I, I think it would be interesting to see that dynamic play out. Bob, when, when always you, good to talk to you, brother. Yeah, Have a great Christmas and a good New Year. We'll see you in January, all right? Good to see you. Don't forget where your hope is. God bless. Amen. Very well said. All right, when we come back, it'll be time to ask me anything. Todd, we have some good questions. We do. <laughs> Chock All full. right, looking forward to those. All right, stay tuned for that in a moment. Two live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here, not from our posh studios, newly constructed over there, uh, back home in Iowa. Todd and Aaron are there, however. Uh, I am here in Phoenix for America Fest with Turning Point USA. I will be speaking later this afternoon. 
And uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, my experience at Turning Point USA yesterday, uh, getting a chance to attend the conference, meet a lot of people, uh, do a lot of media interviews. It, it, it's a wholly different ecosystem than CPAC. And I think it's a, a worthwhile conversation for us to be having. Uh, and we will be doing that in the overtime today at blazetv.com slash dace. One of the people, uh, groups, I should say, that I saw here represented uh, at, uh, at America Fest is Public SQ uh, for Public Square. And it would make sense that they would come here because what they're trying to do is take a big step towards building the alternative economy we need to preserve our way of life, whether that is supporting the restaurant that uh, only buys farm to table locally, that coffee shop that stood up to the COVID mandates, the local bank that says they will never cancel you because of your political views. Public SQ is your guide. The app is interactive, sensor-free, community groups where you can connect with other local members to find liberty-loving businesses all over the country. You can list your business there as well. It is absolutely free to join. So just go to publicsq.com to download the app today. Public SQ for Public Square. Download the app today on their website at publicsq.com. You can also email the show, steve at stevedace.com. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Gab, and you can also follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter, Getter, TikTok, and Instagram. And remember, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. And if you have time and you are a podcast aficionado, please, if you've yet to do this, leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe or follow, whichever applies on the podcast platform of your choice. For the final time in 2023, or 2022, I should say, I'm already looking ahead, we're going to do an Ask Me Anything with questions from our followers over on MeWe. You guys know how this goes. Todd has curated these questions. He has selected the ones that he found to be the most interesting. I have not seen any of them in advance, so that Aaron will now hit me with them blind live on the air. We will begin with Zamchenko 2, who says, While I truly believe that comfort, laziness, and fear play a huge role in the lack of defiance against cultural rot and COVID tyranny among Christians, could the predominant view of dispensational premillennialism in the evangelical church play a role? If everything will always get worse, why fight? Why not sit back until Jesus returns? So I think this is an excellent question. It is a point that we have discussed on this show, not in a while, but in past iterations of this program, it has come up quite, quite a bit, including um, an example from my own local community that I used to cite um, that I haven't brought up in a while, so I'll bring it up now because it, it fits in with this question, guys. Uh, I, this was now almost 10 years ago. I was driving around town here. I was still uh, uh, working locally for WHO, so this actually would have been well over 11 years ago. And I'm driving around town over lunch hour, and I'm listening to a local show done by a Christian activist here in our state on the, the big uh, Christian talk station in Iowa. And, and she's talking about something going on, and I don't remember what it was, but it was a moral, it was a moral imper imperative issue at the legislature. And she was talking about how imperative it was for her audience to take time out of their busy schedules to make sure to call their legislature and, uh, and, and let them know where you stand and why they should do the right thing on this, which I thought was great. But then at the end of this call to action, she, she then followed it with this. But we know in this Laodicean era of the church 
that things will only get worse no matter what we do. And I remember driving around that day thinking to myself, so, you know, people are busy. We don't have a lot of extra time right now. You want us to take time out of our schedules to have our voice be heard, and that's great. But then you want to tell us up front that there's a relatively decent chance it will amount to nothing. So isn't that a little bit, I used to, you know, describe it as trying, trying, being a premillennial dispensationalist as a political activist is a little bit like driving a car with the, ga with the gas and the brake pressed at the same time. I do agree with that. But I will say this, though, as, as someone that has had a lot of experience mobilizing Christians and uh, in the, into the political arena and a lot of experience within the political arena, I have seen similar uh, issues from, um, uh, from uh, you know, just a, a self-conflicting standpoint with every one of these views. I, I, I you know, I had um, the wife of a Lutheran minister here in Iowa who was running for political office once, once tell me that, well, um, we believe in Augustinian uh, two kingdoms uh, eschatology here in the Lutheran church. Uh, that's the city of man and city of God. You know, that, Todd, that would be, you know, as said before, that is pretty close to what uh, eschatology the Catholic church teaches too. And, 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 but she took that to mean that if she got into office, she could, she could behave like whatever was going on in the city of man to get things done. She didn't have to be held to a higher standard. She didn't have to be better. She could connive. She could cheat. She could do, I mean, she's in the city of man. So it's just totes cool to, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans. And, you know, we've seen a lot of that. You have your devout Catholic president, you know, who's an advocate of killing people. Um, we just saw the Catholic Church just cast out Father Frank Pavone for essentially trying to get people not to win in Rome, do as the Romans do. So I've seen plenty of stinking thinking where all millennialists is, is concerned. And, and, and the 3% of you listening right now that are post-mills, because that's the smallest group of eschatological, uh, the smallest camp of that in the American Christian Church, before you all get on your high horses, I mean, I got to tell you, you're the most impossible I've ever tried to deal with. I mean, I, trying to get a lot of people whose theological views would be much similar to my own, but trying to get them involved a lot of times, no one's ever good enough. Something, somebody's always got something wrong. I mean, I don't understand. So you think the church triumphs in history, but you're just going to sit this one out and put, you know, another Rush Dooney or John Calvin avatar on your Facebook page because and, and, and be like the two old guys on the Muppets and just sit there and be a cantankerous critic and not do anything with it. See, that I never understood. To me, to me, if you were going to be consistent in your views, here's actually the temptation that you ought to be facing in all three of those views, in my view. For the post-millennial view, instead of thinking no one is good enough, you should be the most tempted to sell out, thinking that anything can be good enough. We win. We can. Well, the church is triumphant. The church can be completely transactional. I would think you'd be more tempted to lose your salt than to hold your fire, than to, you know, hold your ammo and not fire a bullet. I would think you'd be too prone to become political activists rather than not prone enough. To the amillennialist, I would think you would you would view you'd be you you would you would struggle 
to get involved in the city of man. You'd be, you, would, you would not be as eager to get involved in the process and depart from the city of God, knowing what the cost of that engagement is, as opposed to saying, ah, hey, it's great that I'm here. I can just you know, kind of do whatever the hell I want to get reelected now. And for the pre-mill, I mean, I, I, I would think that you would have a sense of urgency to do as much good as you could possibly do, believing that the signs of the times are leading to a terminal generation as opposed to, but, you know, in the end, there's not much we can do. Things get worse no matter what. Like, it would seem to me you'd have the opposite temptations in all three of these camps. From what I have observed firsthand as someone that has been as involved and connected in this world as a lot of people you're ever going to meet in conservative or alternative media, that's the thing that I have always found the most frustrating is no matter which of these three eschatological camps, gentlemen, people fall into, I've observed they, they often fall into the opposite temptation that I would, I would anticipate what their stated belief would, 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 would prompt them to go overboard with instead. I don't know about that because I, now, I'm not saying I don't know about how you've actually, uh, you know, your experience is, Steve, and I know this is Ask Steve Anything, but since I'm the other evangelical, I, what, what you're saying makes perfect sense, and it's very rational. I'm not doubting your, you know, what you've seen. I'm just saying, speaking for myself, I think the biggest temptation with me is the Jonah temptation. Go, mm-hmm. go, go F yourselves, basically. Yeah. I can yeah. still maintain my piety somehow, some way. Even if you put me in jail, go F yourselves. That's that's that that's the the temptation I fight at least uh, at least personally. Todd, is this a? Oh, I'm fighting the same one. Believe me. You're, you're, <laughs> is this a you're a you're a Catholic answer? Uh, no, I just I, I think the funniest thing about this, and it speaks to contradiction again. This is where I think evangelicals turn into the caricature that they have long thrown Catholics way about having way too extra biblical humana 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 because i to me this looks like an evangelical version of how many angels dance on the head of a pin like i don't quite quite here right now we're days away from it christ comes into the world our savior to save us all so there's there's the victory but then immediately his parents need to act they need to steal him away they need to go to the place that once persecuted their forefathers egypt to hide so they didn't just sit in place to go to the original question i our faith is an action a faith of action mm-hmm. i i i i so i i always and since again this is an explicitly evangelical question you can the long and i'm glad you brought up father pavone and all that um, I, 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 I'm always mystified at how d- deep, I mean, you color coded rapture chart guy gets because it seems like ultimately the disease that, uh, medieval Catholics or modern day evangelicals faced are the same kind of demon, just not mm-hmm. accepting the simple truths for what they are. There's also this guys, there's also this, we can't get people to show up to school board meetings, to protest porn in the schools. Do you think those same people sitting in the pews are really having a, a well-fleshed-out eschatology? Maybe some of them are, but there's, there's also that. Well, there's that. There's that. 
You know, and I have to tell you, when I, on a side note, on the Father Frank Pavone news, for those of you that don't know what we're addressing, he's been defrocked by Rome. And <clears throat> if you guys have listened, those of you that have been with this show for many, 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 many years, and Todd and Aaron as listeners can hearken back to this, I've actually been critical at times of Father Pavone on this show for being too willing to cut political deals. You know, uh, to, to, I mean, I, I for for supporting bills that said, hey, you can abort babies with anesthesia. I, can't, I think that was in Montana or one of those states that he supported a bill like that several years ago. And I'm just like, that's just not, that's just not pro-life, man. I mean, I, I, you know, we're, we're supposed to be defining life. So when I saw the news over the weekend that he was basically too radically pro-life for Pope Francis, I had to chuckle because I've been kind of critical of him a few times over the years for being too willing to compromise on the pro-life issue to the point of watering down the principle whatsoever, whatsoever. So there's that. Ready to move on? Ready. Here's Joe from our audience on MeWe. Do the words in the Bible have the same meaning throughout the volume of Scripture? Example one being one, become one, etc. He lists uh, several examples. When a man and woman are joined in marriage, they shall become one flesh in Genesis, yet they remain two distinct personages. When two sticks are joined together, become one in Ezekiel, yet they remain sticks in verse 20. Uh, in the intercessory prayer, Jesus prays that children of God become one as the Father and Son are one, yet believers remain distinct personages. When the believers are many members, yet one body in Corinthians, but when it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are one God. They And now, they are not distinct personages. Um, really trying to understand this. So I don't know, Joe, if I had to guess, he, his real question is uh, about the Trinity. Would you guys? I that, think that's that, a good place to start, yep. Okay, and, and that either he has questions about it, or maybe he belongs to a tradition that questions it. You know, there are there's a couple of strands of Pentecostalism that do. Um, uh, I, you know, um, I think... I think L LDS has, has questions uh, where the Trinity is concerned and things of that nature. The word that answers your question, it, it was Joe, right? That, that was the yeah. questioner's name? Okay. Uh, Joe, the word that answers your question is oneness. Um, that's the word that answers your question. That we are, so for example, within the Trinity, they are distinct and one simultaneously. In their oneness. They are distinct and one simultaneously in their oneness. Uh, similar with a marriage. Uh, and it's and and the use of that language is holy. The 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 word Moses uses for and for this reason a, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will become one. He uses that exact same word for one later in the in the sacred prayer, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. So my wife is still distinctly female. I am still distinctly male. She is still distinctly my wife. I am still distinctly her husband. However, we are in unity as oneness together when joined together. So what we, when, 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 when we are in unity as a church body, despite different customs, uh, despite different languages, despite different traditions, all right, we have we have oneness because we are in unity in worship. 
when we are together in a marriage as a husband and a father, or I'm sorry, as a, as a husband and a wife, we, are, we have distinct personages, but we are together in unity, in oneness, right? And so that's why Jesus is praying to the Father. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. They are distinct in their personages, but they are oneness together, and they are oneness together simultaneously. My wife and I may be apart, but we are still one and married together. I, it's not that we're not modes. It's not like for at, at, the marriage was the husband for a while, and then it became the, the wife mode for a while. No, when we're brought together, it's husband and wife distinctly, simultaneously together as one. Similarly, when we gather together as a church body, those of us who have called on the name of the Lord for salvation, those of us that the, the elect that the Lord has saved, all right? We, we might be different persons in different periods of time in different land masses on this planet at different times. But when we are in worship together, we are one because of whom we are in worship of. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those might be distinct personages, but they are personages distinctly, simultaneously, for all time, together as one. Does that answer the question? I think so, Todd. You got anything? Well, I think, and I, it would help you, I know Steve has alluded to this, but as you're doing this, you might want to have uh, a uh, concordance with you, because a lot of the times, and I'm not saying with your examples in the word one, but that, you know, the translations over time are not using um, the exact phraseology. They don't fully embody what was meant. That may help you along the way if you're willing to get... But don't, uh, you know, don't be too quartered by, um, I mean, really, the, make sure the spirit of this thing is alive and well, and you aren't, I don't want you to end up parsing this like, uh, what's a catch on instant replay, okay? And I think this is a really good question, but m make sure that you aren't, the, the, this stuff wasn't written in the English vernacular. Remember that. And we've had how many translations uh, over time? You, you get a concordance. Um, I mean, Steve's used many examples over the years about, you know, translated. He uses it at a punchline now. But, you know, where these words came from, what they actually mean, uh, what you're meant to get out of them. You're not alone. These things have been wrestled with for millennia sure. now. Sure. And that's why a pretty good rule of thumb. Now, notice what I just said. Pretty good rule of thumb. I didn't say metaphysical certitude, okay? A pretty good rule of thumb, though, is, is whatever the church has largely agreed on within orthodoxy for 2,000 years is orthodoxy. When you consider, when you consider that, that parts of the church have literally gone to war against one another over theological distinctions or ecclesiastical hegemony, all right? When you consider that, then in the midst of that history, if those warring factions, if those rival factions have each clung to certain creeds throughout time and space, in, you know, regardless of those differences um, that even at times led to the spilling of, of blood, then pretty good evidence that those are ironclad 
both within church tradition and also within uh, within the teachings of the scriptures, whether you're looking at, you know, like Todd mentioned, the uh, concords, whether you're going back to a Latin Vulcan under St. Jerome, whether you're going to the original Masoretic texts, whether you've got, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, whatever whatever your original source is, if there are things there that have, that, that despite the differences and rivalries within the church, that, that, that these rival factions have held on to and clung to simultaneously as orthodoxy, pretty good rule of thumb, that's orthodoxy. Trinity is one of them. Moving on, Mark asks, if DeSantis beats Trump for the Republican nomination, how many Trump cultists will stay home so cannot not vote in the general election? Well, Trump actively encourages cultists to stay home and not vote in the general election. I, I love so much that this question comes on the heels of the first question. This is like the Trump version of the evangelical staying home. I, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. So I, I, I will tell you, I have no idea how Trump will behave if he's defeated by DeSantis. I, I, have, I don't. I have an idea of how I think he won't. I mean, I, I don't think there's, you know, I don't think there's any chance. I've seen people posit he'd flip, you know, support the Democrat. I, I don't think there's any chance of that whatsoever. None. I mean, his, him and his family are deeply embedded now in right of center politics. I just saw Don Jr. yesterday here, in fact. Um, I, I, don't, I don't foresee that. This is the family business now, okay? This is the family business now. And even though it was absolutely ridiculous he did sell 45,000 NFTs in a day, okay? So this is the family business now. They're, they, don't, they, don't have the, they, they don't have the means. They've been, they have been wrongly and unfortunately shunned for defending people like us by the industries that they were profitable in, real estate, golf courses, uh, pop culture. They're anathema to those places now for standing with and standing by people like us. So this is the family business now. And when I say that, I don't just necessarily mean it cynically, although it sounds like it coming off the heels of last week's cynical digital trading card. But I just mean that that's, this is my family business now. This is what the, this is what the DACES do. My daughter's involved in this now. This is what we do. That's, that's, that's the context I needed in this, in this particular application. All right. So I, that, that's not going to happen. Um, do I see him hitting the road aggressively for Ron DeSantis? I have, I have no idea what happens there. I don't. I don't have an idea. I don't. I also don't think very many uh, what you call Trump cultists would stay home either. I, I don't think that. I don't. And, but I, and I think that would there be some perhaps? I think that number likely gets offset by the ability to grow with um, constituencies that Ron DeSantis is stronger with, independent suburbanites, than Trump has been now for the last several election cycles. Next up, uh, Brad, you know who you are. You had a much more long and rambling question, and I distilled it down for you. Uh, Brad said, should landowners alone be allowed to vote? So I would, in previous generations, be all for this. Here's the problem. Foreigners own a bunch of our land, number one. And number two, a lot of our landowners, man, ain't, you know, middle to upper middle class people who have made a good living and are trying to preserve and pass things on to their families that live in neighborhoods like the three of us do in the show live in. A lot of our landowners are frankly Bill wealthy Gates. people. Bill Gates, yeah. And they're the ones that have been, what's happened starting with Obama in 08, a switch got flipped. And you began, you began to see the wealthiest 
demographics voting Democratic in mass for the first time. And that those those numbers have just grown. They, they grew in 2012, they grew in 2016, they grew in 2024, they grew again in, in this midterm. So, I mean, <laughs> the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence, many of them were captains of industry, lawyers, plantation owners, very successful people. They were the elites of colonial society, frankly, or at least among them. We don't have those kinds of elites in this day and age. I, I would be very hesitant about going forth with any policies that give any power to elite sectors of the culture, given what uh, passes for morality, uh, philosophy, ideology within the elite sectors of this culture. All right. Next up, we go to Jared. What were some of the moments in your lives that define you as men? Um, meaning my wife, that gave me direction. Uh, spiritual conversion, that gave me purpose. And probably the moment where those, uh, I had a car accident the summer before I met my wife, where I went, you know, I nearly was killed in that accident. And, uh, and I didn't have, that wasn't when I got converted, but I did start thinking to myself, how did I go from most likely to succeed to the loser I am now? And actually started, you know, reapplying the natural gifts that God had given me. So that would be on that list. And then I think obviously the, the birth of my first Anastasia for sure really cemented um, the, the call of salvation that God put on my life. So if I, did, if I had to give a Mount Rushmore of pivotal moments, and I guess the, the, I did a top five, my mom choosing not to abort me when she was pregnant at 14 years old. Those would be the five. Todd, you want to get on in on this? Yeah, I mean, obviously I have many of the signposts Steve did. Uh, the, the, the one that I've shared with you on the show before was when I was at the Des Moines Register and covering the floods and when I uh, got uh, arrested. And when there was that big of a uh, spotlight on you and you – and it had already happened in, in other smaller ways. But when it you you, you want to know when it's it's wide open and it's for you to choose how you do. And at that time I had boy, how my, three of my children, I think, had been born. Yes. In 2008, three of my children were uh, in the picture yet. Uh, you know, what are you willing to do? What do your principles mean to you? Uh, what do you want your example to be? And ultimately, and, and getting the option to take the easy way out with something called an Alfred plea, where you don't admit guilt, but you kind of and you all agree to agree that mistakes were made. And I, I was offered that many times because they knew that they had a crappy case, and I stuck with it, uh, and uh, I won. And you, you know, that's the thing. You gotta. This is why every day, real life, you gotta be prepared. Uh, for what is to come, because when it really does come, if you've been lying to yourself, uh, the, the house of cards that becomes of not only that decision, but how other people see you. And there's a lot of people who don't like me, uh, disre uh, disrespect me for any number of reasons, but they, they all end up knowing one way or the other that they're dealing with somebody that has to be reckoned with because he won't sell out. Well said. I think for me, there are three distinct uh, things, or three or four, I guess, 
a couple of them in high school, one around college, and then one uh, more recently. The two in high school, I've told this story before. I got, uh, last day of practice, we did fun conditioning my freshman year. I was just a tiny little pipsqueak. One of the older guys, uh, upperclassmen, decided he uh, wanted to bully me, so he uh, picked me out in line, just totally decked me in front of the team. Embarrassing, but I had to pick myself up and keep going because it was something, football was still something that I loved, and so that was a good lesson. My first hourly wage job taught me personal responsibility and an appreciation for hard work, especially for my dad and, and my mom as well. Uh, in college, um, having to go through um, go through the process of getting your first real big boy, big responsibility job when you're kind of in charge of a radio station, you know, making sure it doesn't burn down in the middle of the night, uh, that teaches you um, attention to detail and all things, although I'm still, Lord knows, not great at that. And then, of course, the fourth thing is getting married. And I would be remiss if I didn't say today is Bella and I's three-year wedding anniversary. I don't know if Bella's listening. Probably not, but I love you. And um, it was at a point in my life where we got married where I had actually, for the first time, been enjoying being single. And then she comes in, and it's been even better than that. So there's that. Those are good lists, guys. We'll come back more of your Ask Me Anything. Our final segment of our final regular show of 2022 continues in a moment. The Steve Day Show. Nothing brings back warm Christmas memories like the songs and carols you love. And only pericarditis and his mRNAs have all your favorite holiday songs in one non-random controlled study. It's beginning to look a lot like a Vax Pass to get into anywhere you go. From inspiring hymns like Oh, holy spike The protein bloodstream trembling Because they lied and it don't stay in your arm. Oh, little town of Wuhan, we can't believe you lied. You're run by creeps who should be put to sleep. Those bats, they don't live nearby. Two traditional Christmas classics such as the 12th decade of lockdowns my true lords gave to me absolutely freaking nothing i've been home since christmas hmm. you can zoom with me said your kidneys to the people far and near then there's those funny novelty songs to lighten the mood. Grandma got run over by a Cuomo. He left her to die in an infected nursing home. I really can't stay. Baby, it's COVID stand. I really must go. Can't, baby, it's COVID stand. I saw mommy masking Santa Claus. Because the CDC said so last night. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell palsy. If you dare get that booster, then you 
sure are ballsy. And of course, we remember the reason for the season. Ouchie, did you know that your virus would someday wreck the world? Fauci, did you know that your science doesn't know what's a boy or a girl? It came upon Anthony Fauci, a sulfuric presence of old. From demons deep within the earth Who knew that his soul was sold But that's not all. This collection has so much more to offer Like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Redfield All I Want for Christmas is My Fifth Vaccine Deck Rochelle with Facts and Data Whitmer Wonderland Little Jabber Boy Have Yourself a Little Waning Efficacy Happy Christmas, this is never over, and more. All this can be yours for a high, high price we can't name yet because inflation, but don't let that stop you from this once-in-a-lifetime collection. Call now at 1-900-666-VAX to order. Only available while supply chains last. Must be double-masked when you call. Again, that's 1-900-666-VAXX. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. I am still here in Phoenix getting ready to speak to America Fest later today. Todd and Aaron are back there in Des Moines, our final segment of the show. If you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift idea, particularly for the man in your life, give him the gift to meet men like that. Get our friends over at Moink Box right now. Real farm-to-table food, whether it's grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pasteurized pork and chicken, sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon, all of it delivered straight to your door by mask, or by mask, by Moink, farmers and fishermen who do things just like our grandparents did as well. And that's the way we should still be doing them. And that's why Moink does it that way. So this is your chance uh, to keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Steve. Do it right now, M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash Steve. And when you do, you'll get free filet mignon in every order that you make for the full year. Free filet mignon in every order that you submit for a year. When you take advantage of this deal right now over at Moinkbox, M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash Steve. Again, that's moinkbox.com slash Steve. All right, let's continue on with some Ask Me Anything. Aaron. You know, I hate it when you do the Moink commercials in the last segment of the show. I have to put that graphic up there with all that delicious-looking meat, and I'm already getting hungry. Dang it, Steve. Uh, Does anyone know, this is from Ray, does anyone know where Texas Governor Greg Abbott is hiding after declaring an invasion on the Texas-Mexico border. Dude, I totally forgot about that. I mean, you, I don't know what to tell you, you know? I mean, our colleague Sarah Gonzalez, who's going to join us tomorrow, is filming moms walking out of Texas bars where they took their kids to drag queen shows. And they're like, well, it's just like what they're getting in the schools. That's the problem. I mean, the Texas governor declares an invasion and does nothing about it. I mean, I, I don't. 
don't know, is Greg Abbott running the FDA too? Yeah, we admit the jab is poison, but we're not stopping it. And I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. That this, and you know, one of the interviews I did yesterday here at America Fest, I made this point, and it's something I know that if you guys are regulars, you've heard me say before. We are on the brink. I know we don't we don't like to use the word empire anymore. That has certain colonial connotations. So we go with superpower now. Fine. But we're really talking about empires. We're on the brink of being the first superpower in human history that goes down. Not because Nebuchadnezzar sieged the city, not because Alexander the Great Hellenized us at sword point, not because Saladin with his curved swords cut our heads off if we didn't pay the jizya. No, not because the next great power of the world emerged, but because we just got punked. Just got punked, man. Punked. Like, you played yourself the ultimate Dave Chappelle, you played yourself skit. We just, we just got punked. I don't know what to do with that. I, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, it's one thing to get your ass kicked by somebody who's bigger, badder, and tougher than you. It's another thing to get your ass kicked by a bunch of dweebs because you don't even show up for the fight, man. So I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know this. I need a two-week Christmas vacation to stop thinking about this stuff because it's making me angry, very angry. Next, we go to Britta. We can win our current battles all day long, but if this generation's teens are as indoctrinated as the ones I'm around, we're going to be right back where we started despite our efforts. How do we make a dent in reaching and teaching our future leaders, especially when conservatives are on an unspoken blacklist for hiring as teachers at uh, schools and colleges? Well, first of all, that's one of the things that the organization I'm speaking to, to today, to Turning Point USA, that's, that is one of their primary focuses. If not, it, it is their primary focus. And I, I agree with every word, Britta, that you just said. Right now, I think you're being optimistic and unduly so. If you believe this thing's going to last long enough to get to the point of that generation being the final nail in the coffin. That's what I believe. I, I think if, I, 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 it would be by an extraordinary amount of God's grace, because it certainly won't be by any of our level of conviction. It would be an extraordinary amount of God's grace that this thing would last long enough for Gen Z to finish us off at this point. Next, we go to Dusty. Being that my congresswoman was narrowly reelected in a heavily red district, Lauren Boebert, any advice you could give her to refine her delivery and increase her electability while I don't disagree with many of her stated positions and I and uh, most of my neighbors don't care for the bomb thrower reputation that she's developed. So I don't know Lauren Boebert at all. I know about her. She's really hot. Don't know anything else about her. Don't know. I, I mean, I know what her, you know, I mean. I mean, I've, I've, we, we played a few of her clips on the show that we've really enjoyed. She has a really good voting record, but I don't know her beyond just a very surface level persona. Here is some great advice that was given to me early in my career by one of my mentors, Jan Michelson, when, when my constituents, my coworkers at WHO, our sales staff who was in charge of monetizing my show and were struggling to do it or actually not even wanting to because of my reputation as a bomb thrower. And 
the advice that Jan gave me was he said, hey, you need to make a choice. If you're not going to compromise and be flexible with your principles on the air, and we both know you're not, <laughs> all right? Uh, he said, then you need to compromise and be flexible with inter interpersonal relationships with your team members here. And it wasn't like I was being a douchebag or rude. It's just, you guys know, I can, and my wife can tell you, everybody that knows me can tell you, I get focused and fixated on something. There's just like nothing else going on around me. And I'm just, I'm finishing that. And then I move on to the next thing. And it comes across as aloof or self-centeredness when it's really just, I'm, I'm just not even aware of it. I'm, my, I'm, I can get really zeroed in on things. And I, I need to be prodded to have a more expansive look at times. And, um, and, and, but because these people didn't know me as well, it came across as aloof and arrogant. Uh, and so that was a double whammy. That was asking the people working with and for me, asking too much of them, uh, both to, to, to bristle at who I was going to offend uh, within their own network at what I was about to say, but then not offer them anything on the interpersonal or interpersonal end either. And so I'm, I'm not saying this with any not to, 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 to criticize Lauren. I don't know her at all. I'm just, as someone who with a similar, somewhat similar persona who just doesn't look as good doing it, um, I would suggest if she's not already, as to your point, brother, really master the art of public servitude. Really master the art of, of building a rapport with your constituents so that you're not just a bomb-throwing construct to them. You're, you're a real good public servant who just has really strong convictions and isn't afraid to express them. Um, make sure if you lose, Lauren, it's, it's not because people saw you as someone that was using the platform they gave you for, to, to throw the bombs they wanted to throw and not serve the, the needs of the constituents. But that, 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 don't ever make your constituents or the people around you or your community a means to an end, all right? so. And I'm not saying she's not doing that. I don't know. She might be home in the district every week. She might walk in every parade. I don't, I don't knock on every door. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm just a general suggestion as someone with a similar persona. Um, and that advice served me exceedingly well. And to this day, and you guys would attest to this, people that work with me and for me will tell you. I go out of my way. As long as you never, don't lie to me. I have no tolerance for that. If you don't lie to me or my audience, though, I go out of my way to treat people as well as I can when I'm off the air and be as much of a team player on everything else I can be because I'm not going to be as flexible once that microphone goes hot. And so that would be the first piece of advice I'd ask Lauren to do a self-check on just to see if she's meeting that threshold first and foremost. All right. Zach asks, what's the Bible say about marijuana or THC? What are your thoughts about marijuana as it relates to the Bible, your relationship with Jesus, your witness, pain relief, getting high? What do you think? I think anything that you use as a method or means of self-medication uh, that, that turns into a form of idolatry to escape reality, um, to, to contrive an alternative reality where you are no longer a functioning person. Um, you no longer are fulfilling a purpose or mission or a plan is a, is a sin. It's called idolatry. And those forms of self-medication addictions can take a lot of forms, can take the form of marijuana, can even take the form of a relationship, 
You know, people can take church. You know, I'm, I'm not even worshiping. I'm just serving on every committee because that's how I show the church that I'm one of the good people and maybe I can earn God's favor. Our hearts are idol factories. And, and so we, and we need to be asking ourselves constantly, just because I can do a thing, should I be doing it? And then what's the motivation for why I am doing this, right? Okay, one of the things Todd talks about a lot with me, for example, is I play hard. I work a lot harder, a lot. I work 12 hours a day, so I might get 90 minutes, two hours after everyone goes to bed to fire up the Madden or watch stupid videos about football handicapping on YouTube, okay? What, what, what's, and, and those just are my own forms of, of Sabbath, right? So our, if, if you need something that is a mind-altering form of Sabbath, I would suggest that's not a Sabbath. I would suggest that as an idol. All right. Go back to Dusty. Uh, he says, first off, thank God the World Cup is over. Uh, after all that build up, a tie between two teams that had already been beaten by teams that didn't make it out of the first round, decided by a practice drill for the goaltenders. Uh, Steve, have you seen anything other than the LGBTQ agenda pushed as hard as on the uh, American public? And I hate, Dusty, I hate you because you just told me I didn't know about any of this. Everything you just told me about the World Cup, I'm all I'm just learning right now for the first time. I had, I had no idea. I don't know. I don't know who won the World Cup. I I don't know the answer to that. Which, so you disagree with him because it's clearly not being pushed on you hard enough to know anything about it. <laughs> See, I want to know what you say to this because this oh, is just very good. speaking of the Idol Factory. Come on, man. Not you. I really. didn't. He. I did. I. I didn't. I didn't know anything. Yeah. He just told me. I had no idea. Didn't know. You, you, you could easily not have anything to do with the World Cup. This wasn't pushed that hard on anybody. It comes along once every four years like the Olympics. And that was one I of the great... I did see a picture. Was it the Moroccan team praying to Allah? That probably happened. And, 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 and some people were tweeting over the weekend, I wish the American team, you know, <laughs> demonstrated this kind of faith. And I responded, they did. They, they expressed a devout amount of faith in their rainbow God. What are you talking about? And they, 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 absolutely, they genuflected hard, hard to their rainbow god. I, you should be pleased. You know, they did. I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to the World Cup. Like I, like of all of the, th- like I don't want to have strong opinions. There's one guy, that one guy that kind of just crapped all over America. But uh, Todd, let's pretend I did catch one match. Mm-hmm. I think it was France versus Morocco. Todd, let's pretend you're in hell. And the soundtrack for hell for the rest of your life. Vuvuzelas or Moroccan fans? Ooh, I, th- I think I might take... I would take the Vuvuzelas. You would, really? Yeah. What was wrong with the Moroccan fans? Just the constant whistling. Just whistling. Whistle. I mean, that's, the, that's apparently like their thing. Steve is going to fire us both. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know about any of this. I didn't know that Moroccans liked to whistle. Apparently. Trust me, if Steve could not escape soccer, you would have heard about it before this question was answered. Correct. I would have lamented the omnipresence of such a dastardly pursuit. Yes. Correct. All right, we're back tomorrow. First of our two-part year-end editions. So you have two more new episodes from us here in 2022. For Todd and Aaron, I'm Steve Dace. We'll see you then. John 317.